Now, I'm going to read something to you, and it may sound familiar to some of you. If it doesn't sound familiar to you, I'll explain it to you in just a moment. Being sensible that I am unable to do anything without God's help, I do humbly entreat him by his grace to enable me to keep the following resolutions so far as they are agreeable to his will for Christ's sake. Resolved. Never to say anything at all against anybody. But when it is perfectly agreeable to the highest degree of Christian honor and of love to mankind to speak agreeable to the lowest of humility with a sense of my own faults and failings and agreeable with the golden rule. Often when I have said anything against anyone, I am resolved to bring it to and to try it strictly by the test of this resolution. Resolved in, in speech and in narrations never to speak anything but of the pure and most simple verity. Verity is a, an old English word for first truths, most important principles. Resolved never to speak evil of anyone except that I have some particular good call by God to do so. Resolved, let there be something of benevolence in all that I speak. Some of that may sound familiar to some of you, but I don't know what you were doing when you were 18 years old. But a young man named Jonathan Edwards was serving in his very first pastorate in the city of New York, away from his home in rural New England. And he wasn't just called to serve in this great church. He was called to serve in a church that had split and he was pastoring the factious party that left the other church. He hadn't written any books, hadn't pastored anyone through the Second Great Awakening, had not served as a president of Princeton Seminary, and had not served as a missionary to Native Americans in New England. He was an 18-year-old young man who had determined to set the course of his life in a trajectory to live his life to the fullest extent possible for the glory of God. And so for one year, he sat down and collected a series of what are known as resolutions that would serve as a compass for the life that he felt called to live to the glory of God. Resolutions that had come from a, an early life and a continued saturation in God's word. And there was something about the resolutions that I read to you that exposed an awareness in Edward's life of something that you and I, th I actually think more often, if we're gonna be honest, more often don't see the same way that Edward sees it and the way the Bible sees it. And that's simply this, he understood that our words matter. The way we speak, it matters. Most importantly, it matters to God. Some social science researchers have come out with a couple of studies that say that you and I spend on average one-fifth of our entire life talking. Now some of you, that's the median. So some of you know you spend far more than one-fifth of your life talking. Others are a little on the other side, but that's talking not just verbally with our words, but that's writing emails, that's tweeting, that's, that's posting on Facebook, that's using words to speak and communicate. One-fifth, at least, of our life is spent using words to communicate. And so it would make sense that God would look at something that we spend, that he created us to spend at least one-fifth of our life doing, and that he would have something to say about it in his word. I mean, just a careful, cursory examination, even of the wisdom literature of the Old Testament, shows that this has always been something that mattered to God. In Proverbs 18, the writer says, A fool's lips bring him strife, 
and his mouth invites a beating. A fool's mouth is his undoing, and his lips are a snare to his soul. Proverbs chapter 20, a gossip betrays confidence. So listen to what he says. Avoid a person who talks too much. The psalmist, Psalm 34, whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, that sounds good, right? Loves life and desires to see many good days. I hope you would raise your hand to that. Here's what he says. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking lies. Our words matter. In our beginning journey through the letter that James has written to the church that has been scattered out of Jerusalem due to persecution that's come because they're followers of Christ, we saw last week, even in James, James chapter 1, verse 26, James said, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. James has something to say about the way we speak in every chapter of this particular book. But this morning, we're going to spend our time looking at the most concentrated instruction, the most concentrated words that James writes regarding our words. So if you've got your Bible open, James, James chapter three is where we're going to be. I know we're skipping forward some, we're gonna come back, but we're gonna be in James chapter three this morning. And let's just see what Pastor James has to say to us about why our words matter. James chapter three, verse one. He starts in a really unique place, but I hope as we go through what he's going to say in these 12 verses, you'll understand why he starts where he does and, and the warning that he's giving in the beginning. He says in James chapter three, verse one, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with a greater strictness. I'll be really honest with you and transparent with you. This verse has kept me up more than once. I have lied awake at night, often on a Saturday night or a Sunday night, and thought about what I was going to say or what I had already said, and this verse has been rattling through my mind. Our words matter. I hope you enjoy seeing the paradox that even exists in standing up trying to teach James chapter three, verse one. Just trying to teach this particular verse is inviting upon myself as a teacher a particular judgment, which is why, though we have many teachers in this church, no one else wanted to preach on this one. I'm just kidding, I didn't really, that's just kidding. Teachers are in the speaking business. They're in the business of words. And because we're in the business of words and because teachers in God's church have a particular role and a particular influence that God has given them, teachers of God's word in his church have a particular capacity to do harm if not careful to God's people. God has given us this great gift of language and gift of words and called some of us to teach his word to others that we might expose to others what God is saying to his people through his word. But teachers, because we're in the word business and because we're sinful human beings, can fall prey to using their words to take God's words and use them for their own means. Rather than exposing the truth of God's word to God's people, we can twist it for our own ends we can blur it in the minds of others. We have a capacity because of the role and the implicit authority that God gives us to do great harm into the lives of God's people with our words. Any of you that speak in your careers, any of you that have to do any kind of public speaking or run meetings or, or teach or do anything like that, you know that the more you speak, the more words you use and the more words you use, 
the more prone to error you actually are. It's just the law of averages and numbers. And you've got to be careful. And any of you that speak for a living, any of you that speak regularly in the jobs that you have, just like someone who, who teaches in God's church, you know that the more often you do it, the more comfortable you can become with it. But the more comfortable you can become with speaking, the more careless you can become with your words. James most likely is writing to address something that's happening amongst God's people, an error somewhere that is being taught, a role that is being manipulated and used or abused. He doesn't tell us specifically, but he reminds God's people from the get-go that teaching God's word is serious business. And so I would just encourage you this morning as we kind of begin this look at the chapter and the role of our words, I would just encourage you, if this is home for you, pray for those that God has called to this church to teach. We need your prayers. And pray that God would bring a control to our speech, a control to our tongue, that we would never stand up here or in any class or in any opportunity that we have to teach God's word and do it in a careless manner, that we would recognize the responsibility and the privilege that comes with it and that God would guide us in it. So we need you to pray for us because this is a serious deal. It's a big deal to God. Our words matter. But lest you tune out because I'm talking about teachers, James wants you to realize that what he's talking about is not just limited to teachers. Look at verse two. James says, for we all, you can circle that, underline that, whatever you'd like to do in your Bible, for we all stumble in many ways. James knows that he himself hasn't arrived. He is well aware of his own weakness and shortcomings. Maybe James remembers how he may have been the one, I'd like to think for, for the sake of teaching this, that it was James, but maybe James remembers that time when Jesus was teaching and his brothers and his family came to him to listen to him. And maybe it was James back in Mark chapter three that said he's out of his mind. Maybe James re remembers the time that with his words, he demeaned the ministry of his own brother who would be his savior. James is well aware of his own weaknesses, of his own shortcomings. He's well aware that as sinful human beings, there isn't one of us in this room who does not somehow, in some way, every single day, struggle with their tongue. This isn't just for teachers. This is for all of us. James wants you to understand the magnitude of the problem before he begins to get into the details. So he says, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, so if anyone speaks perfectly bridled, no fault at all ever in the way that you speak, he's a perfect man. And that perfect is the same word he used in chapter one talking about mature, complete, whole. That which God is doing in us by his spirit to bring us into the image of likeness in Christ. When someone speaks perfectly every single day, exactly as they're supposed to, sinlessly, you can know they're a perfect man. So powerful and so important is this bridledness of our speech. If you find a perfect man who speaks perfectly, you can know that he's able to bridle everything about himself and his life. He's communicating the, the weight that the way we speak has. And he knows that in this life before we see Christ, that's none of us in the room. And so what Pastor James is going to do is he is going to give you and I a spiritual pathology, so to speak, of our tongue, of our words. It's like going to the doctor and having to stick out your tongue. You know, those of you who are medical students and doctors in here, you know that there are things that you can learn about what's going on inside someone by what's happening on their tongue. You, you, you can actually look at the tongue and the tongue begins to display things that are happening inside the body. James is gonna give us a spiritual pathology of our tongue. 
And what James wants to do is to help us to see just how important our speech really is. He wants us to think realistically about our words. He wants us to begin to consider the way that we speak as important as it is to God. Now, the reality of it is you and I can be very deceived in this. We can deceive ourselves into thinking that the way we speak and what goes on with our tongues really doesn't matter, but it does. Lest you think that you're religious and don't bridle your tongue and deceive your heart, James has said. Your words matter. So, so listen to the pathology that James gives us of our tongue. Listen to how he describes it. First thing James is going to say is simply this. Your tongue is far more powerful than you think it is. Look at verse 3. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Now, just picture a horse in your mind for just a second. I told you last week I, I'm not an equestrian, but just picture a horse in your mind. If you watched the races this last weekend, you saw a collection of horses, some 800 to 900 pounds, running around a track at full tilt. And guess what? They were controlled by a little piece of metal and a man on their back that weighed about 110 pounds. Horses are massive, powerful, defiant creatures. We measure power in horsepower. And yet a little piece of metal and a 110-pound jockey can control the force. Look at the ships, James says. Though they're so large and driven by strong winds, they're, they're guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. Now, I had to go look this up just to give you a picture. The USS Eisenhower, one of the largest ships in our naval war fleet, it weighs 91,000 tons. It's 1,100 feet in length. It has a nuclear-powered 280,000 horsepower engine, carries 6,100 personnel, a minimum of 100 aircraft. And it is steered through the ocean and through the storms by a rudder, one-twelfth of its size. So also, James says, your tongue. It's a small member. It's a small part of your physical body. Yet it boasts of such great things. What James is saying is that your tongue has an effect on your life that is disproportionate to its size. Your tongue is far more powerful than you actually think it is. I mean, just think for a moment, and we're going to do this throughout the morning. So just think for a moment of words that have been spoken to you or words that you have spoken to someone else that have absolutely impacted the course and trajectory of your life. Your tongue is more powerful than you think it is, and this is by God's design. Yet sin has corrupted it, our use of it. Proverbs 15, a, a gentle tongue is a tree of life. A gentle tongue that speaks words of encouragement, that speaks words of hope, that speaks words of grace. It's a tree of life, but a perverse tongue. It breaks the spirit. Your tongue is far more powerful than you think it is. But James isn't done. He's got a lot to say about this. He says your tongue is also far more destructive than you think it is. How great, he says, a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire 
Now, I'll date myself here a little bit, but growing up, every Saturday morning, we generally watch Saturday morning cartoons. And, and every Saturday morning, when we watch Saturday morning cartoons, at the end of each cartoon, we always had a mini cartoon, and it always had one star, and that star was Smokey the Bear. Every Saturday morning after every cartoon, Smokey the Bear came on and gave us a little cartoon infomercial scaring the living daylights out of us about forest fires and campfires. I still have images of Smokey the Bear in my mind whenever I go into the woods. But I thought, was Smokey the Bear exaggerating? Is it really that harmful? Can I really do that much damage? And so I went online and I, and I, I was trying to look up, can, can you really... Can a small campfire really cause so much harm? I didn't have to look long. I, some of you may be familiar with this, but in 2013, there's what was called the Great Rim Fire. An acreage in and around Yosemite National Park, 250,314 acres were burned to the ground. Do you know how it started? Sparks from an illegal campfire. Massive destruction from what seemed like innocent little sparks. Smokey was right. Out in the woods, a little bit of carelessness with fire can cause tremendous damage. And James is saying, your tongue is far more destructive than you think. Just like those sparks, your tongue, he says in verse 6, is a fire. And he's just trying to help God's people remember what they already know to be true. Solomon said in Proverbs 16, a, a scoundrel's speech is like a scorching fire. It stirs up dissension. As charcoal to embers and as wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome person for kindling strife. Your tongue is far more destructive than you think it is. But not just that, your, your tongue, James says, it's far worse off than you could even imagine. James says in verse six, looking at your tongue, he says, your tongue is a world of unrighteousness. John Calvin, in preaching this same passage, he said that such a slender portion of flesh, just think about your tongue, such a slender portion of flesh contains in it the whole world of iniquity. What James is saying is that your tongue has a capacity for sin, a capacity for evil like nothing else. All of the characteristics of a fallen world can be found expressed through your words, on your tongues. Your tongue is actually far worse than you think it is. And not just that, this pathology James wants you to see and wants you to realize that your, your tongue, it's far more influential in your life than you can imagine. The tongue, James says, is set amongst our members, staining the whole body. Every aspect of your life is impacted by your tongue, by the words you speak. There isn't any part of your life that's beyond the impact of the words that you speak. I was thinking of an illustration of this while I was working on this yesterday, and I just happened to be working on it at the 400 when a wedding was going on. And I remembered an illustration I heard another pastor give. It was Sinclair Ferguson, and I wish I had the Scottish accent to, to read it with because it would sound a whole lot better, but... Ferguson, in thinking about the capacity of the tongue to stain the whole body, said this. He said, think of how careful you are when you put on a dress for a wedding, especially your own. Think about how careful you are with that wedding dress. From the time you get to the building and you get it on the bride and you got to get that bride down the aisle up to the front, the spot on the wedding dress only needs to be a small one. 
But that spot will ruin everything. He said, so it is with the tongue and its words. No matter what graces you may have developed in your life, if you have not gained tongue control, you can besmirch them all by an unguarded and ill-disciplined comment. Your tongue is far more influential than you think it is. James said, your tongue is so influential. Listen to the, to the reach, the duration, the distance of the impact and the influence your tongue has. He says, your tongue can set on fire the entire course of life. The entire course of life. So, so just think for a minute, just for a moment. If what God is saying is true, think about the way you speak to other people in your life. I mean, it stopped me dead in my tracks thinking about this. If your tongue is so influential, it's, its reach is so far, its impact is so deep that it can set the entire trajectory and course of life, how do you speak to the people in your life? If you're parents, how do you speak to your kids? What do your words communicate? What's the trajectory you're setting them on with your words? If you're married, how do you speak to your spouse? If you have roommates, how do you speak to your roommates? How do you speak to the people where you work? How do you speak to the people with which you do life? How do you speak to the people in your world? I was trying to picture the, the impact of, of this and, and how we think of this and one of the things that James is communicating underneath all this is, is that there's really no neutral language. There's no neutral words. We often like to excuse things that we say to other people and, and think they were just harmless or careless or empty, but what James is saying is that there are no neutral words. Your words have tremendous influence and reach. Your words are either, like the psalmist or the proverb, writer of Proverbs was saying, bringing life, or your words are bringing death and destruction. There's no neutrality to it. And so I was trying to think about it, and I thought, I think most people can relate to this. You've been driving down the interstate at some point, and you get behind an 18-wheeler whose tow, train is, tow chain is dropped to the ground. 75 miles an hour down the interstate, it's just bouncing everywhere, and sparks are flying. And they seem innocent. They seem harmless. And that's the way we think about our words sometimes. Just harmless little sparks that are fired off here. Harmless little gossip that's spoken over here. Harmless little innuendo that we said over here. Harmless little story that we told about this other brother or sister in Christ to another person that no one else ever find out about. Harmless little words we speak, but James has said there is no harmless word. There's no neutral word. Such little sparks, what a great forest, are set ablaze by them. And you don't have to think long and hard to think of the relationships in your life or the marriages around you or the jobs that people have had that you've known that have been torched by what they thought were careless words, what they thought were harmless words, what they thought were just empty words. Your words are far more influential than you would ever begin to think. And more than that, James says in verse seven, your tongue, it's way more uncontrollable than you think it is. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, James says, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. I mean, you know it. You spend, I don't know how, I don't want to know how much time you spend on the internet every week looking at animal videos. 
But you've watched the water scene squirrel and the skateboarding dog and someone bought me one time a painting that was painted by an elephant. They had taught an elephant to hold a paintbrush and paint on canvases and someone bought that for me one time. We've taught animals to do everything. And what James is saying is simply this, what we have accomplished with lions and tigers, we cannot accomplish with our own tongue. It's just not possible. Ultimately, it's beyond you. God's put in you a new heart so you have new desires, so you want it. I I want a bridled tongue. I I need a bridled tongue. I I can't make my tongue controlled. See, part of what God is doing through what James is teaching here, he's trying to expose to us the reality of what it is we're dealing with, one, that we might be humbled by it. We need to feel the force of what James is saying here. He's not going to soften it. He's not going to try to make it easier for us because it's true. We need to see the reality of what we're dealing with. We have to recognize the extent of the problem, which is why James doesn't stop here. Not only is our tongue more uncontrollable than we think, but your tongue, this is a big one, your tongue is more active and is busier than you really think it is. I know you don't think you say things to other people the way that people think you do. I know you've got a steel trap You don't gossip. You don't make sniping remarks, tearing people down to other people. I know that's not you, but what God's word is saying here is that your tongue is actually more active and busier than you think it is. Your tongue, James says, is a restless evil. It's never satisfied. It's always going. It's always working. And not only is it a restless evil, it's full of deadly poison, he said. One commentator said, in the search for weapons of mass destruction, you only need to look in the mirror and open your mouth. This is what you're dealing with. This is the pathology of your tongue. But James isn't done. Don't you wish he was done? I wish he was done. This is the third time I've done this and I wish he was done. But he's not done. He's gonna say in verses nine and and 10 that your tongue is also more revealing of you than you think it is or wish it was. Your tongue is way more revealing of you than you think it is or wish it was. Your tongue, like nothing else, reveals the inconsistencies in you. It's exposing. Verse nine, with our tongues we bless our Lord and Father and with our tongues we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. What James is saying is that you and I can be here, right here, right now, and we can use the mouths that God has given us and the tongues that he has given us to sing songs of praise and thanks to him for who he is and what he's done, and they can feel heartfelt and they can be heartfelt, and at the same time, we can walk outside to the playground and stand next to a friend and look across the playground and see someone else and absolutely pick them apart and tear them down, and those words feel just as heartfelt as what we sang 10 minutes before. Your tongues reveal and expose just how inconsistent your heart really is. And so James says, my brothers, these things ought not to be so. He has to say that because we're not much different than our brothers and sisters in the first century. We don't like to recognize the inconsistency and sin in our own heart. We can so easily deceive ourselves into thinking that James is talking about someone else. It's like asking a fish about water. I don't think this is true about me. 
I don't notice these kinds of things in my life. So God comes to us through his word and it serves like a mirror to show us the reality of what's going on. And so James, he's gonna give us a couple of illustrations here to kind of drive the point home, but at the same time, he's gonna take us in the direction of a reasonable response because we're left stuck. He doesn't tie this thing up for us, but he does lead us in the direction of of a response. Look at verse 11. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening of both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? Or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. See, what James is saying is simply this. The the product is always consistent with the source. If you go to a field or, or an orchard of olive trees, don't go there expecting to pick figs. If you go to a grove of olive trees, what do you go to expect? Olives. If you go to a fig tree, don't go to a fig tree looking for olives. What do you expect to get? Figs. The product, the fruit, is always consistent with the source, the root. What the roots are, what's going on on the inside, produces fruit. James is reminding us that what we say, our tongues, reveal to ourselves and a watching world what's really going on in the heart. See, if you want to know what someone's really like, all you have to do is listen to them talk. Most specifically, listen to how they talk about other people. If you really want to know what's going on on the inside. See, James isn't just dropping off the face of a cliff with these illustrations like, well, what do we do now? James is actually taking us down to the root of the problem. See, the problem with our tongue, it's ultimately not our tongue. The problem is with our heart. James is actually exposing that the fruit of what comes out of our mouths, what comes off our tongues, is the product of what's happening down in the roots of our heart. Ultimately, the tongue, it's it's not the big deal, the big problem. The big problem that has to be addressed is the heart. James is just teaching, again, something that Jesus had been teaching his disciples all along. Out of the abundance of the heart, Jesus said, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, Jesus said, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. The ultimate problem isn't your tongue, it's your heart. Which is why, as we we go through this pathology that James gives us about our tongue, what's wrong with our tongue, the dangers of our tongues, and exposes to us what our tongues are actually capable of, I can't simply tell you four ways to, to speak better to the people in your life this afternoon and tomorrow. I mean, that might help you in the car. It might help you tonight. But ultimately, that's like putting a Band-Aid on a cancer tumor. It might cover up the reflection of the cancer you see on your skin, but underneath that thing, the cancer is eating you alive and will destroy you. The ultimate problem isn't the tongue, it's the heart. Which is why, as harsh as James sounds, it's actually good news. Because if the ultimate problem that we have to deal with in thinking about a bridled tongue or controlled speech is our heart, we know how to deal with that. You simply can't decide to control your tongue and believe through your own determination that you'll have any real and lasting transformation in the way that you talk. A tamed and controlled tongue comes from a transformed heart. And the way forward towards a transformed heart is through the grace of God. Which is why in writing about this 
passage, Augustine, thinking about it, St. Augustine writing about it, said this. He says, James does not say that no one can tame the tongue. He just says no man can tame the tongue. So that when your tongue is tamed, you're forced to admit that it was done by the mercy of God, the assistance of God, and the grace of God. See, Pastor James writes the way he writes. He says what he says. He exposes the pathology of our tongues because he knows that for any real transformation to take place in the taming of our tongue, you and I must see the reality of what it is we're facing. We must see the extent of our sin. We must see the extent of our need for the grace of God. We must see for the first time or the first time in a long time that our tongues are driven by our hearts. I mean, just think back to his illustrations. It's the writer that controls the bit. It's the pilot that controls the rudder. Your heart controls your tongue. And until you see that that's where the problem is and that's how deep the roots go, you will not see just how clearly you need God's grace and God's spirit to work transformation in your tongue. Your tongue is the clearest expression of the evidence of your need for God's grace. So James gives this pathology to God's people that you might see it. He wants you to realize just how dangerous and destructive your tongues are and your tongues have been. Because only when you see it for what it is will you begin to cry out for the forgiveness of God and the grace of God and the mercy of God and the strength of God's Holy Spirit to bring transformation and cleansing not only to your heart, but transformation to your tongue. Listen, what, what do your words reveal about you? Right, if the problem of your tongue and the words that come out of your tongue are simply the fruit of what's going on in your heart, what do your words reveal about you? I mean, let the grace of God and the spirit of God do the work that God's doing through his word this morning in your heart. Are you angry? Are you bitter? Are you desperate? Are you sad? Are you needy? What do your words reveal? What are your words revealing about what's going on in your heart? I mean, you can try to justify it 10,000 different ways, but listen to me. Your mouth has just exposed you. What's going on in here? What's the fruit of your tongue revealing about your heart? Listen, James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, they really are good news. It really is a gift of God's grace to us this morning because here's the thing. Without the exposure of God's word, without God through Pastor James exposing the pathology of your tongue, the destructive nature of your tongue, the influence of your tongue, the power of your tongue, the uncontrolled nature of your tongue, without him exposing that, that you can see it in your own life, you will get up and walk out of here thinking everything's okay. James is talking about somebody else. I don't have that problem. But here's the thing, James chapter three, verses one through 12, they're grace to you from God the Father this morning because he loves you too much to let you walk out of here deceived about yourself. I mean, don't you see, he seems to be saying through this word from James this morning, don't you see that you leave wreckage in every single relationship that you walk into? Don't you see that your words are like a fire that scorches the earth around you everywhere you go? Don't you see? Don't you see what's going on? God's word serves by his grace as a mirror this morning 
to show us the reality of what's happening so that we might see the depth of our need, that we might run to him, as the writer of Hebrews says, with full confidence in his grace, knowing that we can boldly approach him in our time of greatest need and receive from him that which we most need desperately. This morning, God exposes the reality of what's going on in our hearts. It's expressed through our tongues that we might again or for the first time confess our need for him. To the first response we have in James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, is to see and to own the reality that this is true of my tongue. And left to myself, I can't control it. I can't tame it. God, I am angry. God, I have allowed my anger to spill out of my mouth into everyone around me. God, can you forgive me for my anger? Can you forgive me for the way that I have spoken to my family, the way that I've spoken to my friends? God, by your Holy Spirit, can you help me to bring control to my tongue? I need your spirit to help bridle my tongue. But here's the thing. That's good and that's well and that's a right response. But I think we skip the other response too. If God by his grace would be merciful to you this morning and expose something of your heart to you in James chapter three and you can recognize some of these things in your own life and you can come to him in confession and and seeking forgiveness and seeking his strength by his spirit to bring control to your tongue, you need to realize that there are still other confessions that need to be made. If you've used your tongue to speak ill of someone else, if God by his word would expose that reality to your own heart and you realize that your influence and the destructive nature of your tongue has spoken ill of another brother or sister or family member, you've minimized them to someone else, you've you've told false stories about them to someone else, you've gossiped about them to someone else and you've thought no one will ever realize but God knows and he's exposed that to you, you need to go to that person as well. Brother or sister, I, I spoke about you to someone else in a way that was sinful. I painted a picture of you to someone else that wasn't accurate. I was jealous of you. I was angry at you. Can you please forgive me? See, here's the thing. The grace of God that we believe is big enough to forgive us of the sins of our tongue towards God the power of God's spirit that we believe is strong enough to bring control to our speech. It's big enough and it's strong enough for those relationships too. And though it might be difficult and it might strain a relationship for a period of time, listen to me, you need to understand this. Your sin, especially the sins of your tongue, they will find you out. And if God by his grace and in his spirit this morning is showing you that you need to deal with this, you need to believe his grace is big enough for it. And you need to come to him and confess your sin and receive forgiveness and cleansing that can only be found at the foot of the cross. But you need to go to those that you've sinned against as well and confess your sin to them, to ask them for forgiveness and believe that the gospel is big enough for that relationship. Our words matter. And James says what he says the way he says it, that the reality of what we're dealing with, the pathology and the nature of our tongue, we might see it for what it is. Because until we see it for what it is, we won't sense and we won't see our need for the spirit and the grace of God to bring the kind of control we need to our tongues. So he says it strongly because we need to see it. This morning, I would encourage you 
If God would expose anything in your heart, that you wouldn't cast it aside, that you'd allow him to deal with you and that you would deal with him and you would allow the same grace that you believe that has forgiven you, saved you, rescued you, and called you your own to be big enough to deal with the sins of your tongue. I can promise you this. There is hope. There's hope for you. There's, there's hope for me. There's, there's hope for our wild and restless tongues. There's hope because God's grace is sufficient. There's hope because his strength is made perfect in our weakness. And this morning, we're going to have a chance to respond to, to God's word. We're going to have a chance to respond to what he has said to us through Pastor James. We're going to have a chance to respond to God's word that has exposed us. And this morning, as, as God's people, as those who have been transformed by the grace of God through the work of Christ, who he has given new hearts, he has put his spirit within, that we have new affections and we have new desires, we get to respond to this word of God towards us by receiving communion together this morning, remembering and celebrating the body of Jesus that was broken in our place for our sins and the blood of Christ that was spilled for the forgiveness of our sins, the sins of our tongue. And as you respond this morning, as God's people, and you come forward, and you take the bread, and you dip it into the juice, I want you to do it remembering that Jesus, he came into this world to bear the judgment of God against our sin, against the sin of your tongues. When he stood before the high priest, he received the sentence of guilt. Though he wasn't guilty, he received your sentence and my sentence of guilt. And on the cross, Jesus paid for, paid for your sins and he paid for my sins in his body. He paid for your sins and my sins of our tongues. Do you want to bridle your tongue? Do you want your speech to sound like your heavenly father? Do you want someone to look at you and go apples and trees and thinking of your father when they hear you speak? This morning, if God has shown you your need for him, if God has reminded you again of your need for his spirit to bridle your tongue, then you need to come to him this morning fully aware of your need, fully aware of your sin, and with your tongue and with your lips, say to him, Heavenly Father, have mercy on me. Forgive me, a, a sinner. And you can do it with confidence this morning, knowing that through the shed blood of his son, Jesus Christ, the forgiveness that you need and the power that you need, he won't hold back. Let me pray for us this morning and we're going to respond. Lord, we thank you this morning, Jesus, that you, that you came into this sinful world, that you stood silent before your accusers and you received upon yourself, the the verdict for sin that I deserve, that we deserve, that you stood silent in the face of that, that on the cross you would bear the penalty for, for all the ways and all the times that I misuse my tongue, that I speak sinfully, that I blaspheme you, that I hurt others. This morning we ask, Heavenly Father, that you would do the miracle that only you can do as you work in us by your spirit new desires, new, new affections, new delights that would produce out of our mouths new words, that our new words would sound like you, that our tongues would be used to bring life, 
to set the course and trajectory not only of our life, but of the lives of those around us in hope, in confidence. Lord, put to death in us the use of our tongue for destruction. Lord, by your Holy Spirit, bring to us an increased self-control and a taming of our tongue. We ask that you would do this this morning for your glory, for our joy. In Jesus' name, amen.